Welcome to another episode of Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry, uh, and we are about to step into the video store to talk with Barrett Fisher about the movie Babette's Feast. So let's jump right in. I'm so excited to talk about this. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam, and I am also very excited about this film. Um, There's so many directions. So just a little behind the curtain, I'm. this is the podcast I do. I think I, I counted. I've done been part of 62 podcasts since uh, <laughs> Bethel went online. Um, and I'm usually not super nervous about them. I'm always nervous about this one because I feel like I need to hold up my end of a conversation. Um, so I always write a ton of notes and there's so many different directions we could go with this. So I think I want to start with um, maybe just why did you choose this movie? Um, I guess I had a number of reasons for choosing it, but, but one was I just thought at a time when we are so physically distanced from each other, um, it would be, I, I hoped it would be encouraging rather than frustrating to be reminded of the importance of being able to gather together, uh, the importance of um, living in a body and being in a body with other people and sharing physical pleasures. So I hope there would be a reminder of of those things and also a foretaste of when we can gather again. Right, right. It also there I think it's also there is definitely themes here about living um uh a, a stripped down life. I mean the the people in this sect have have chosen to live a very simple life. Um and this is also speaks to the the power of sort of moments of indulgence too and the importance of some of that. Um, um, so what is your history with this? Because so, I, I, I mean, we talked about this on our first episode because this is one of the, the five movies I put on my list. So I had definitely have a, a, a viewing history of this movie. Uh, I'm curious what your history watching this film is. I, I am actually having a hard time remembering the first time I saw it. Um, I certainly remember that it was a film that was featured at a faculty retreat. Um, in the discussion I certainly uh, I certainly remember that it was in a film forum but I honestly can't remember when I first first encountered it yeah I I for me I watched this there there's there's sort of three dis, uh, four distinct moments I remember watching this movie um, I've seen it more than that but but four times that stand out to me so I watched it when I was a freshman in college um, in I was in uh, Mary Ellen Ashcroft's I forget what it was called. Um, it was our, it was the first semester honors course that she was teaching and she had us watch this. And I think I was just mostly really tired when I watched it. And I like, it didn't have a major impact on me other than I remember my, my big takeaway from the first time I saw it was watching these um, old, especially I, I remember the faces mostly mm -hmm. and watching them like these people who are not deeply emotional, how they, um, kind of came alive throughout this meal, throughout as the the, mm. the course of the meal went on. But I don't, I don't think I remembered the story really. I just remembered that dinner scene almost to the point where I feel like we only watched the dinner scene. But I know that that wasn't the case. <laughs> but then I saw this again um, when I was studying at the Oregon Extension. Um, we didn't yeah. have a lot of media at all, but one of the people there, this was like one of their favorite movies, and they talked about it and wanted us to watch it. And then I saw it again in. Um, my senior year of college, I took a course with Don Postman and Thomas Becknell um, called Film the Modern Sensibility. And we watched this and read some things along with it. And that's where this movie really hit me. Um, and I think because at that point in my life, I was 
as a senior in college thinking about graduation, especially as somebody whose major was history, right? I was, they didn't have like, a, there wasn't a natural career that was just sort of waiting for me there. So I felt like life was full of these really important choices. And I was feeling mm -hmm. the paralysis of those choices. Like, what if I, what if I take this opportunity? What doors does that close? And what if I take this? So in this movie spoke so deep. So that was the things that I took from it as a senior in college. Um, so I took comfort in, and we'll talk about the general speech at the end. I took a lot of comfort in that, but it, but it was, that was a leap of faith itself to be like, well, okay, I'm going to trust that what you say about the, the infinite grace in this world and, and the choices we make. Um, so that's how it hit me then. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say watching it now. So now I'm 40, almost 43. Um, for one thing, the the general and Papan didn't seem as old as they seemed when I was twenty one. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, yeah, and 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 I was, I, I think I was more drawn to Babette this time around. Mm -hmm. No, it is it is amazing as you get older how those characters get younger. Yeah, yeah. I will say the casting blew me away because the how much how believable the younger, because I often don't buy that in movies where it's like, well, I, I guess I'll I'll have to go with you that this is the younger version of this person. But I kept looking at those faces of the younger, the the two sisters when they were younger and then older uh, and uh, Lowenhelm when he was younger and older. I'm like, I totally believe this actor became that actor. And well, the other thing to note about the casting with the older characters is, um, you know, one of the great figures of Danish cinema is Carl Tator Dreyer. Um, who made films mostly in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And um, about a half a dozen of the actors in this film are from his some of his greatest films from the 1950s. He has a film called Ordet, which means the word. Uh, and one of the sisters is from that film. And so uh, that's sort of a, an inside uh, element of the film that the Danish audience would have recognized all those, all those faces, not only because of the role they play in the film, but the, the cinematic history behind those faces as well. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, there. What I like about it is the exact opposite, which is these are people I've never seen. You know, and there's I, I love movie experiences like that, and I think um, world cinema gives you that gives me that opportunity more because there there isn't a identifiable uh, person I have any kind of history with other than in this film. Um, when when you think about this movie, there there's these there's. I mean, there's lots of directions to go, but I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a false choice here, and you can tell me you don't have to choose because that's what this movie <laughs> in some ways about. But is this a movie to you that you ultimately think is about like religion or faith things, or is this a movie about art? Because I think it yes. can be read in in either way, or both, or, or both. Yes, I, I I do think that, you know, when you asked about why I chose the film, Sam, I do think that one of the things about, that I love about this film is that it is so multivalent in terms of um, there are so many different directions that you can take your interpretation. And I think that rather than being about choosing which of those you're going to go with, I think the part of the genius of the film is the suggestion that these are things that are connected with each other, that there is some connection between religious transcendence and aesthetic transcendence that rather than saying you choose the path of religion or you choose the path of art i think there's a suggestion that 
there's a there's a unity between the artist uh, and, and and the divine, um, and and that and that's kind of hinted at, or or even, it's even said more explicitly at the at the end of the film when there's the embrace between uh, Philippa and and Babette, um, and the notion that uh, because both for Philippa we've been told that she will the the full fruition of her artistic voice will come when she's in 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 paradise, and Babette has the same promise given to her. And so I think that the notion of what the artist does and the notion of what those who are uh, pious or religious dedicated do, that those things actually as in both what the pastor says and what the general says, that those um, uh, meet together, they kiss one another. To me, that's what's marvelous about the film is that those, um, those exist in a kind of unified vision rather than a, a, uh, a choice between one way or the other of, of interpreting it. So I think even the fact that you have both the general and the father, the pastor, making that same blessing, mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and bliss shall kiss one another. I think that's a way in which the film is uh, eliminating those distinctions between the secular or the aesthetic and the sacred or the divine and saying these are things that are ultimately harmonized in God's kingdom. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I found myself just really moved. I, the So I went back and reread the story actually twice on Tuesday. So I read it. I was sitting in my office and I read it. And then I went home and I, I asked my daughter, I'm like, can I read you a story? And I said, it's kind of <laughs> long, but but like, I just, I want to read this to someone. Um, partially, I will also, I just also need to say like, I, as I've gotten older, I, I was never somebody who like would cry at movies or mm. I actually would cry more when I would read and I can't get through this movie and I can't get through, I, I got through it with my daughter just barely. She could tell I was fighting back. Like I just, I'm, <laughs> I find myself so, so moved um, throughout this, this I mean, just in terms of the, in terms of all of the messages about about the things that that seem separate that come together, I mean, one of the things that that I think is interesting, if we're thinking about sort of the way religion plays out in this, um, and religion seems like a weird word, but that's I'm just using that word um, in the store in the 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 actual short story. There's a lot more explicit um, tension or anxiety about. Babette being French and Catholic, mm -hmm. that, that that sort of comes. So so even thinking about that embrace at the end is 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 a little because that's another thing. And I will say that's part of my story too. Is this is is having these different traditions and and you know coming to a point in my life where I realize. And actually, it's probably around when I was watching this movie as a senior in college when I was starting to see the those things resolve themselves in each other and realizing that those, those are just traditions that inform me, not these, they're, they're not these things that are pulling against each other. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I also found interesting, and this is both in my viewing over time, but also in, in watching the movie is thinking about like <laughs> the fact that, that this, this, you can watch this movie through the eyes of so many different characters that there isn't. Mm. There isn't exactly a central character. Like you can watch this movie and and think, okay, well, this is about these two sisters, and it's about the people who come into their lives. These sort of the people both in their inside community and the people from the outside. But watching the movie, I also was like, this is this is in lots of ways a story about the general, too. I mean, he's he's the one who who is most explicitly and and. Or, or I shouldn't say he is mostly. We see him most explicitly wrestling with his life. I mean, he talks about, 
you know, needing to, th that evening is going to be about making an account of his life and the choices that he made. And it's not clear when he goes to that dinner that that's the speech that he would make. I mean, it's the meal that brings that out of him. And then in, in other ways, Babette's the main character. Well, if you think about, you know, the, the title is, it's, it's Babette's Feast. So um, the feast is the main character. And I think that it, it's, a, it's a film where, I think it's actually possible to possible to say to say that say that that's the way the director looked at it. Axel said that love is the main theme. Hmm. He says that the the film is about love from beginning to end. Um, and I think if you think about that, that the film is about various kinds of love, right? It's about um, it's about sisterly love. It's about divine love. It's about love of food. It's about love of um, uh, love of art. So I I I, I do think that it, it, even though Babette is sort of the she becomes the focal point for that theme, but it's so. But it really is about the various forms I think that love takes in 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 their in the characters' lives and the various ways in which they are able to be um, transformed by love. Uh, one of the things that you talked that you talked about um, in episode one is you talked about the the sort of symbol of the feast and i mean obviously in christianity the i mean the mass itself is the recreation of this kind of feast we watched this um the week of easter um i mean are there are there uh are there other things that i, I mean actually basically i'm trying to ask you a question which is essentially can you talk more about that about the uh what you mean the christian imagery or the iconography yeah, yeah, and and especially about the idea of 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 a feast and thinking about it in terms of um, maybe communal feast, and this feast is itself a sacrifice, kind of. I mean, we we get different views of that at the end. Right. It's a yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, it's it's interesting that the uh, the inclusion of the general brings the total attendees to twelve. Uh, oh, I hadn't for, thought of that. Yeah, yeah. So so, and and then and that may explain why, in a sense, he becomes the the key speaker at the at the end of the dinner. Um, it's not that he in, in any way I mean, it becomes a, a Christ figure. That's really the reserve for Babette. Uh, right. But he rounds out that he rounds out the, the number of disciples. I, th I think one of the interesting moments in, in the in in the preparation for the feast is the way that um, Babette's preparation of the quail in particular is associated with with Christ um, because before. The camera goes to her in the kitchen preparing the quail. There's a shot of uh, there's a kind of a print of Jesus, and then it goes to her in 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 the in the kitchen preparing the quail. And then you have the um, uh, the cart being taken away with all the various body parts. And so there's this real notion that uh, she there's a a kind of reference to the res to the to death and then the resurrection being played out with these quail in their in their little in their little coffins. So. Does a f <laughs> this is maybe a, a weird change of direction, but but I, I'm actually going somewhere with this. I think um, when you watch a movie like this, does this movie? It, it, it might be neither, but does this movie more? I, I realize I'm giving you a bunch of choices, which are false choices. Does it make you more want to cook or want to eat? <laughs> Since I love to do both, Sam, I really can't quite distinguish. But I, I I would say that you know when I sat down to watch it, I realized I needed to have some food at hand. Um, <laughs> 
because yeah, if I had to choose, probably it makes me it makes me want to eat. Uh, in part because I don't I don't do a lot of the kind of cookery that that my bed does, so I wasn't quite prepared to slaughter a turtle. Um, but no, it certainly it certainly makes me hungry. The food movies do that, especially a movie like this. Well, and, and I, I partially asked the question because I, I too love to do both of those things, but to me they're almost this is going to sound weird, but they're almost unrelated. Um, mm -hmm. In 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 terms of my eating and my cooking, because I will say one of my favorite moments, and this is maybe getting to thinking about this as a movie about creation in art. One of my favorite moments in the film is is after the feast is over and after everyone leaves and the sisters come back in, and they walk into the kitchen and and Babette is sort of sitting silently, looking very. Like, like pleased, right? And she, and she, mm. she hasn't eaten. You don't see her eat. I, you see her taste a few things as she's cooking, but that's part of cooking, right? And she's just there drinking, drinking a little wine. And there's this, this, this sort of sense of both. There's this mess around her. She's gonna have to clean. There's this exhaustion, <laughs> but there also is this, you know, to use the language of the film. There's this, you know, I have tonight. I've given my utmost. You know, like I have put everything mm -hmm. into this. Um, and, and like, when I think about cooking, I often find myself, especially if, we're, if on a big holiday, if I'm making some something big and complicated, there's this sense of like, I actually don't want to go to the table. I want like, to me, everything was in the making of it and and and, mm. and, and then and other people eating. It. And I, I, I realized watching the film this time, it's like, oh, I, I absolutely relate to that feeling. And I relate to that feeling in, um, other moments of creation of like there like there's there's all of this that goes into whether it's painting whether it's writing whether it's um you know making a film you know there's all this thing that goes into it and then there's the thing where you let it out into the world and you have this weird relationship with it then you know and and um so i will say i love works of art that make me want to make art there i feel like there's two often two experiences i have with great art there's the great art that makes me stand in awe and just say just be overtaken with it but i but i can't imagine it doesn't make me want to make art because it's almost overwhelming and then there's art mm. that makes me want to make art and this more so even than eating makes me want to cook it makes me want to want to to have that feeling that i see babette having sitting in the kitchen <laughs> well in my in my teaching days sam if i can really let a little bit um i was always more interested in the making of a syllabus when i wasn't actually doing it i always <laughs> felt like no seriously i always felt like this is great no i i don't i i designed the perfect class this is just wonderful now i don't i don't want to i don't want to send it out in the world i don't want to do anything with it i just want it to sit here in it's in it's uh, platonic perfection <laughs> maybe in paradise you will be the teacher god intended you to be <laughs> Um, so as you look at, so if we think about eating for a second, um, I, I, I pulled up on Wikipedia, they have the, the menu. Is there a mm, particular yeah. dish that you most want to taste in this meal that you look at every time and say, I got to have that? Actually, that, that, that's a, that's a good question because, um, by and large, I, I've never, I've never been particularly interested in, in turtle soup. Um, you know the blinis uh, are uh, buckwheat pancake with caviar and sour cream. Eh, um, I don't. I don't know the the quail. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I mean, I I I, I actually um, orient more towards the, the 
the cheese and fruit served at the end with a little with, with, with a little with a little wine. I mean that that's or even the endive salad <laughs> that actually looks more interesting to me than the really exotic stuff. And and to be frank, um, I was actually more interested in some of the wine. <laughs> I am not a wine drinker, so I was not. But I will say the quail is very much in my wheelhouse. Like that's that's okay. the thing that I, that's like that I would I I would absolutely. Uh, would absolutely i've actually on my other computer screen here i've pulled up recipes for this now i don't oh, yeah. some of the some of the um ingredients would be tough to get especially now but uh but yeah like like i, I that that's that's the one that i that really uh really jumps out at me um one of the things i found interesting with this film as i was reading uh especially more recent things about it was um it's hard to say, it's hard to use the word backlash with a film like this, but I mean, this seems like, like critical reception was, was basically entirely positive when this, when this came out, it won the best foreign language, um, Oscar. Um, but I was reading, uh, in a couple places, things written in the last five years, uh, pointing, I mean, it generally pointing to how, um, uninspired the best foreign language Oscar film has been in the past and in the 1980s. They pointed to this in particular as, as a film that um, uh, maybe was not sort of to their minds, visually interesting or, uh, or inventive in any kind of way. So I actually found that, that in that interesting that I actually found a number of, of pieces like that. Well, that is interesting, Sam, because when, when Axel wanted to make the film, the, um, I guess he went first to the Danish Film Institute for funding or whatever, and he told them what he wanted to make and uh, you know the basis of the film and the short story. And and uh, they said, there's not a film there. They said, there's not even a single scene. Um, so, and, and the other thing that's interesting to me is that, as you know, the, the story is set in Norway. Mm -hmm. um, and he moved it to Denmark, not just because he was Danish, but because he wanted, um, he deliberately wanted a, a, a muted palette. And he said that a lot of the look of the film was um, influenced by artists like Vermeer. Um, and he was very, very deliberate in constructing the village and setting the film where, where he did. So, you know, it's not, so in that sense, no, it's not a, you know, it's not a flashy film. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's not a film that kind of grab, grabs your attention, but at the same time, I think in some ways I'm going to link it to the straight story in that it's, I think it's an, I think it's a highly experimental film in the sense that he takes these very ordinary, uh, a very ordinary mundane setting, very ordinary people, um, uh, a religious community that could have been satirized, but instead is kind of gently portrayed with its foibles. I mean, I think he does the same thing that Lynch does with the straight story and in, in, in a more, even more complex way. Um, and, and takes ordinary life uh, and makes it, I think, completely fascinating. Um, so I think people that don't respond to the film, um, maybe may, may for whatever reason, they don't want to enter into its spirit of imagination, but I think it's a film that, um, it's almost perfect, actually. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a scene or a shot that's kind of out of place in, in this film. It's beautifully economical. Yeah, I will also say I was amazed for all for for all the things that that I mean he does like you say he changes it to Denmark things like that I was amazed going so I watched the film again and then I read the then I went back and reread the story 
And I was amazed, amazed like how unbelievably faithful of an adaptation it is. Like there mm -hmm. is, there, there is, because the story is only about 20 pages long. I mean, the, he doesn't, the, there, there are little detail-y things he takes out, which I think is, is the right move. Um, mm -hmm. But like this, I actually felt like this is, this goes on my list of one of the great adapt, literary adaptations of a, into film in terms of just really doing, putting onto screen exactly what I felt like I read. Yeah, and you know he, he he obviously you know towards the end he softens the character of Babette a little bit, um, which I think kind of shows that it's a faithful adaptation. But he has a particular uh, purpose in mind that he wants to carry out as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which made me think of: Are there other if if we're if we're jumping from this to other things? Are there other films that? Uh, beyond the straight story that you would connect this to or are there other great literary adaptations as you would say oh if, if you're if you're interested in another like really well done adaptation yeah uh there's a there's at least a couple that spring immediately to mind um i think probably the adaptation that i most admire and i've actually used this when i used to teach a film class is um the film away from her uh which was both written and directed by sarah polly the canadian actor um, it's an adaptation of an Alice Monroe short story called The Bear uh, Came Over the Mountain, uh, which is originally published in The New Yorker. And one of the things I love about it is, as with this film, is that I think that both the short story and the film themselves are both great works of art that both work on their own in their own terms and that work in terms of um, uh, their particular medium. Because to me, the, the key to a really successful film adaptation is that is that the filmmaker finds a way to um, kind of translate or transmute the literary materials in a way that is faithful, and that's a loaded term, exactly what that means, that, that's faithful to the original material while expressing itself appropriately in a different medium. Um, and, and away from her does that in a, in a really interesting way. So if I were to, if I were, that's probably at the top of my list of really good adaptations would, would, would be away from her. Um, I also think, uh, Field of Dreams, which is an adaptation. I was going to say that, film. that, that's my number one, where I actually think the movie cleaned up the book and made it better. <laughs> Yeah, no, as I say, yeah, there's also, yeah, that's a good point. There's also those adaptations where, in a sense, it kind of Im improves. Um, I would also have to say that there are there are certain books whose adaptations I, I will not watch because I I like the book too much and I don't want to see somebody else's vision. But then there are also adaptations which, for some reason, always seem to work. I think the um, uh, most recent adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I, you know, I think that work. Uh, oh, Jane Austen almost always works, no matter who adopt, adapts. Why is that? What is it about her her work that lends itself so well? Because the, they don't seem to be constantly made and successful. Well, you know, I, I think actually she she wrote really good dialogue. Okay. I mean, what, what, one of the things that, that amazes me about successful Austen adaptations is often the dialogue is taken right from the novel and are very closely uh, parallels. And that's usually not the case. Usually the way people talk in novels doesn't work if you have them talk that way on screen. But for some reason that works for Austen. And I don't know, maybe there's something about the Regency period that just really works on screen, that particular uh, temporal setting. Um, uh, but there's, I think there's a certain wit about Austen. Also, she's a she 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 writes great plots. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and if you just follow her plot, so uh, it, it'll work. So, so jumping off uh, off this idea of adaptations, uh, if I gave you all the funding and you were able to hire the people and produce any unmade literary work that you would like to see adapted, what do you think is the is is sort of a great piece of literature that would lend itself to adaptation that has never been done? Well, I don't know. Uh... I don't know if this is a particular great Okay, so first of all, let me say that one of the adaptations that has been done, so I can't answer that question, is um, Martin Scorsese uh, was able to do an adaptation of Silence that actually completely satisfies me, even though I love that book so much, I wasn't sure I'd be able to watch watch the film. So that's that's certainly, it. so for me, Sam, one of the difficulties in answering that question is that there are, there are a lot of classic works of literature that I love that in a sense, I don't want to see adapted uh, because I've seen too many book, great books uh, ruined by adaptation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Catch Twenty Catch Twenty Two comes to mind. I don't think that works very well as a film uh, at all. I, I also think one of the the limits I would I would put on answering this question is I think the the longer the work of literature is, um, the more difficult it is to do a successful adaptation. I mean, it's interesting to me that both Babette's Feast and Away from Her are based on short stories. Uh, and um, even though Shoeless Joe is a novel, it, it's not a long novel, and there are right. things that can be, uh, yeah. So I'm actually, I'm not sure I'm going to give you a great work of literature, but one that comes immediately to mind is my favorite novel by um, Frederick Buechner, uh, which is uh, Godric. Um, okay. And I, I, I think, because it's maybe because it's set in the ninth century, so it's a, or 10th century, so it's a little exotic, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively brief novel, but it's got a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive point of view. And, I, and that would be a film adaptation I would, love, I would love to make if I had the opportunity. All right, any, any last thoughts on Babette's Feast before we move to uh, our, our, our next recommendation? Yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'm gonna gonna say something which is just um, reflects my own personal interests, and that is that uh, I, I really, as I may have mentioned in our first uh, podcast, I'm really a big Orson Welles fan, um, and Orson Welles was a huge admirer of um, Karen Blixen slash Isaac Dinesen, uh Made one short film based on one of her short stories, and tried to make at least three others, which he wasn't able to finish. But Wells tells a story which may or may not be true, being Orson Welles. Uh, he tells a story about going to see her uh, at some point and um, hiding out in his hotel room for three days uh, and then going, he had brought all of her books with him um, and then going away without ever going to see her. And, um, and, 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 and I love that story because it's the idea that Sometimes the only thing worse than meeting our heroes is, or than not meeting our heroes, is meeting our heroes. Um, and you know, the, the, and there's something about her as an artist that so inspired him. But I think probably there was the fear that if you if you meet this person, um, she's not going to live up to your to your expectations. Um, oh, and I, I'm sorry, I have to mention one other thing that I think is interesting. That the reason why she wrote the story. Uh, she was given a dare by a, a, a British friend who said, "With well, write about food, Americans are obsessed with food, but predicted that she couldn't come up with a tale that would be acceptable uh, to the Saturday Evening Post, which in the 1950s was the key place to publish um, fiction. So she submitted to the Post, and actually it was rejected. Uh, and then she submitted it to Good Housekeeping, and it was rejected. 
but it finally showed up in Ladies Home Journal in June 1950. Really? Huh. Yeah. Well, that's what the original one was. <laughs> okay. So, I love works um, of art that come out that come out of dares. <laughs> yeah, isn't that yeah, that yeah, I do like I do like that idea. Uh, oh, and the other thing is, uh, it's, it's also interesting that she herself, uh, thanks to a philandering husband, she actually uh, suffered for years from uh, syphilis of the spine. Uh, and so she actually had very little interest in food herself. She, If you see pictures of her, there's actually a video of her that I saw. Uh, she's, she's skeletal, scary to look at. She basically lived on fruit juice and oysters supplemented by dry biscuits and champagne. Um, and then for public appearances, she takes some amphetamines. Uh, to get pumped up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what is our recommendation? Yeah, our recommendation, and we're back in uh, with this one in two weeks, is right. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pluck a film off of my top five list that we talked about the first week, and uh, I'd like to watch Out of the Past. And uh, that is a, a film noir. Uh, in my mind, it's one of the greatest of the film noirs. And... Um, one of the reasons I'm picking it actually is because uh, in the past couple of months, Hollywood lost one of its great actors of the classic uh, era, which is who is Kirk Douglas, um, an actor I absolutely love in almost everything he's in. And uh, this is an early role for Douglas. It's a 1948 film. He made his debut in 46. So he's not yet a major star, but he's big enough that he gets close to top billing opposite Robert Mitchum. Uh, Mitchum is the lead in this film, and Mitchum is one of the great American actors. And he's one of those actors that when you first watch him, you don't realize how great he is until until you watch him. And then you realize he's and, and this is this is the role that Mitchum was born to play as this kind of cynical uh, former uh, detective. So anyway, it's uh, we'll talk a little bit about the film. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what makes film noir, noir one of my favorite genres slash styles. That sounds great. I'm excited because this is your first recommendation that I've never seen. So I'm really excited for this. Um, that is all the time that we have for today. As Barrett said, we're going to be back in two weeks. So uh, we'll next connect with you on May 3rd. So that gives you some time to go watch um, Out of the Past. If you want to interact with the show, if you have thoughts on the films uh, that we're watching, you can email us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Uh, for Barrett Fisher, I'm Sam Mulberry. We'll check you out in two weeks in the video store.